Welcome to Crash Curse, the one-stop shop for all things witchy, supernatural, and unordinary. I'm your host, Layla Johnston, here to guide you along this episode's topic on early American witches. The first accused, the Hartford witch hunt, and the Salem witch trials. Have you ever wondered how it all happened in the first place? I'm bringing up some of the theories on why the witch craze occurred. Now, before going into theories, it would only be logical to start in the beginning. Not at the Hartford witch hunt. That's too late. Not at the origin of the witches. That's way too far back, and personally, I don't feel like I have enough time to cover information dated back to the Bible. I'm starting with the first witch recorded in America, Alice Young. There were no spelling rules at the time in colonial America, so Alice, spelled A-L-S-E, would be the same as Alice, spelled A-L-I-C-E. She lived in Windsor, Connecticut, but there aren't any records on when and where she was born and at what age she died. In fact, there's hardly any record of her existing at all. The only archives that are known to mention her are the John Winthrop Sr.'s diary and the Matthew Grant diary, also known as the Old Windsor Church record. With these two diaries, historians have uncovered the gist of her story, accused of witchcraft, and then hanged. Researchers have pieced together other smaller records to work out her estimated age and relatives. For instance, she was found to be married when her husband, John Young, went to an alchemical physician, basically a medicine scientist, John Winthrop Jr., in 1652. Winthrop Jr. took note that John had been married to a woman hanged as a witch in Hartford. However, there are no actual marriage records to support John and Alice's marriage. The closest age that historians found for Alice is under 40, thanks to the year her perceived daughter, Alice Young Beamon, was married. Her daughter was later accused of being a witch, but was never put to trial. Researchers have theorized that there was an influenza outbreak in the same area and at the same time as Alice's accusations took place, since many townspeople died that year. Even with all the supposed evidence of who Alice Young was, her trial was quite simple. She was accused of being a witch, accuser unknown, and was put to trial and hanged on May 26, 1647, in Hartford, Connecticut, making her the first witch recorded in America, 45 years before the Salem witch trials. Alice ended up igniting the hunt for witches in early America, ultimately kick-starting the Hartford witch hunt. The Hartford witch hunt began in March of 1662, 15 years after Alice's hanging, with the death of 8-year-old Elizabeth Kelly. Kelly made sure to make her death memorable, screaming and crying about how local townswoman, Goodwife, or Goody Ayers, cursed her and inflicted witchcraft upon her. Goody Ayers was likely blamed for her storytelling of the devil. To avoid execution, Ayers and her husband fled the colony, leaving behind their eight-year-old son in a rush. How do you just leave behind a whole child? Bad parenting. To finally kick off the trials, Reverend Samuel Stone, Joseph Haynes, and Samuel Hooker dig up evidence to make cases against all of the townspeople getting accused. Families were torn apart as women were getting tried left and right. Two men even went down with their wives as witches, one being Nathaniel Greensmith. The Greensmiths were the likely victims of the few water trials performed as evidence against witchcraft. They would be bound by their hands and feet and thrown into a pond to see if they'd float. Since witches rejected their baptisms, the water tells if a person is innocent or not by accepting or rejecting them, otherwise drowning or floating. Nathaniel and Rebecca Greensmith were both hung up the gallows for being witches, 
but didn't go down without pushing the same fate onto others. Rebecca openly admitted to being part of a coven with seven other witches in town, including Goody Ayers, Mary Stanford, and Elizabeth Seeger, which all had notable cases. Elizabeth Seeger had it rough. She faced three whole trials but remained innocent throughout. Seeger was easily acquitted from her first trial, but her second trial wasn't looking too well, all until Governor John Winthrop Jr. came back from England in 1663 to save the day. Winthrop was skeptic of witchcraft and was a science buff. He used his governing powers to protect the accused colonists, starting with protecting Seeger from execution during her second trial. She was tried for a third time a couple years later and was convicted, but for the first time in Connecticut's history, a convicted witch did not hang, all thanks to Governor Winthrop. Because of the governor's return, the trials diminished until the last bang of the 60s when Catherine Harrison of Wethersfield was accused in 1668. Harrison was a classic pauper to royalty case. She was raised with low status, but her work as a medical practitioner and astrologer rose her to a higher class. It was like all the accusations started out of nowhere, but in fact, part of her study is to blame. She was accused of seeing the future with astrology, which doesn't sound so bad to us, but to Puritans, it was a major charge. Only God knows the future. If a human claimed to have seen the future, it was surely the work of the devil. Her trial was completely unfair with 30-plus witnesses testifying against her, claiming she had shape-shifting abilities. She had no chance of winning and was sent to prison until October. When court recessioned, Gershon Bulkley, a friend of Winthrop, created some statements to abide by when trying a witch, specifically Harrison. Number one, unless two people saw a witch's specter in the same shape at the same time, the accused would go free. Number two, God will not allow the devil to appear in the guise of an innocent person before multiple witnesses, though it is left to the question of his ability to do so before a single person. And number three, the statement that set Harrison free. In theory, Harrison was guilty, but in practice, she probably was not. Thus, she was freed and banished from the colony in May of 1670. The trial of Catherine Harrison ended the nearly eight-year-long Hartford witch hunt. Connecticut practically flipped its view of witches by the end, from being terrified at the mention of them to tolerating the thought. Now time for a brief history of the Salem witch trials, because there's far too much information and speculation about it. Salem Village, Massachusetts was a bit late to the witch trial game when the accusation started in 1692. The New England witch panic was finally reaching an end during the 90s, but not without one last victim. Salem Village. Tituba, a West Indian slave owned by Reverend Samuel Paris, told stories of the devil and magic to Paris's daughter Elizabeth and niece Abigail Williams. Soon enough, the girls started acting up and began experiencing violent outbreaks and screaming fits, or symptoms of bewitchment. Tituba, Sarah Good, and Sarah Osborne were then accused of witchcraft by the sick girls. Tituba was the only one who pled guilty. She confessed to her ties with the devil and put more supposed witches under the bus. All three of the women were found guilty and thrown in jail. The numbers of accused began to skyrocket to around 150 as panic encased the town. Magistrates John Hawthorne and Jonathan Corwin questioned each witch they got a hold of. Families turned against each other, husbands against wife, 
children against parents. Even Sarah Good's five-year-old daughter was accused of witchcraft. A five-year-old. That's a whole baby. All in all, 19 of the 150-plus people were hanged. A few died in jail, and one was crushed to death by stone. Two dogs were even killed due to witches appearing as black dogs. Gillies Corey, the man who was crushed to death, was demanded to confess, but he refused each time he was asked. His only response was more weight before he died. Governor Phipps tightened the control of what evidence is allowed in court. Cough, cough, spectral evidence to limit the accusations. The trials lasted from January, February to October slash November of 1692 and was heavily apologized for by the officials of Salem, even proposing a day of official humiliation in 1697 to reflect on the mistake of the trials. Now for the theories. Ergot poisoning. Ergot is a fungus that grows on cereal-type grasses like corn, wheat, rice, sorghum, barley, oats, millet, and commonly rye. Ideal conditions for growing would be a cold winter followed by a wet and humid spring and summer, which is what the town of Salem had in 1691. Symptoms to ergot poisoning are similar to symptoms of witchcraft. Nausea, vomiting, hallucinations, sensations of cold or numbness, feeling pinching or pinpricks, it can even cause seizures and dementia. Ergot poisoning also takes a toll on grazing livestock. During the Salem witch trials, there was a notable increase in livestock deaths, which could have been an effect of the ergot. Crop failure from the poor weather may have pushed the villagers to eat the infected rye. This theory may seem plausible, however, it's got too many flaws in it. For instance, all of the witchcraft symptoms don't perfectly line up with the poison symptoms, and we don't know enough about Salem's weather to judge accurately. The poison theory hasn't been recognized as a solid theory because of the lack of information provided to support. Ergot poisoning also usually appears in places that lack in vitamin A, but with the ocean nearby, Salem shouldn't have suffered from vitamin A deficiency. Encephalitis. Encephalitis is a disease that causes inflammation in the brain. It can be transmitted through chemicals, bacteria, mosquitoes, etc. Colonial hygiene wasn't the best, and mosquitoes loved humidity, which Salem had plenty of. One girl could have easily contracted it over summer from a mosquito bite, and it lay dormant until winter. Symptoms for the virus also matched up with witchcraft pretty well. Symptoms include sudden fever, headache, vomiting, seizures, confusion, and paralysis. This theory is more accepted than ergot poisoning because of the availability and possibility of the virus. It's also a lot simpler getting a virus from mosquito in an unsanitary area than having all the rice supply infected with ergot. Hysteria. Now, hysteria is the state of widespread panic, which both Hartford and Salem had. Multiple theories can be pieced together under this term. For instance, the Salem girls could have been playing a game pretending to be witchcraft victims only to then spread panic throughout the village. While being called witchcraft victims, they could have easily named several townspeople suspicious of witchcraft. This would have scared Puritans to death if they thought Satan was in their village. Each hysteria theory could start different, but they all end in the murders and the trials of the accused. Rivalries. 
there were multiple rivalries between the wealthy and the poor townspeople, Salem Village and Salem Town, and political disputes. Salem Village held all of the poverty-stricken people. Many of the accused put to trial were actually beggars. Salem Town was much wealthier, as it had a seaport that taxed the villagers of Salem Village. Each party greatly benefited from the trials depending on who was accused and who was executed. Reverend Paris and the new church he set up in Salem Village also benefited from his daughter and his niece stirring up the trials. His church became the most talked about. Salem Village housing the trials allowed for the judges to handpick evidence admissible in court, such as the less reliable spectral evidence that Salem trials majorly relied on. Out of all the theories talked about today, I think the most believable would be a mixture of them all. Hysteria is pretty much a given, as if many people start dying in the town, people are going to get crazy, you know? We're missing so much information and records on the witch trials today that makes it almost impossible to pinpoint an exact reason on why it all happened. But... That doesn't mean we can't theorize. Thank you for watching today's episode, Witchful Thinking. Once again, I'm your host, Layla Johnston, and this was Crash Curse.